Help is help. I almost failed ninth grade algebra when I was in 10th grade. I'm not proud of it. I take full responsibility for it. It might please you to know that the failing wasn't necessarily a result of my substandard mathematical skills, although that did have a lot to do with it. I was supposed to be in geometry in 10th grade, but I failed 8th grade math and had to retake it in 9th grade, which meant there I was in algebra as a sophomore. I don't know why I resisted math so much. I think it had to do with my lack of respect for math people in general. They always seem like humorless stick-in-the-muds to me. And if I'm being honest, my brush with mathematical inadequacy had more to do with a serious case of the I-know-betters mixed with a sudden manifestation of who-gives-a-crap-itis than any real learning deficiency. Add to that my natural inclinations, a hormonally charged tendency towards magical thinking, and I had myself a serious situation by the time April rolled around my sophomore year. What can I say? I was a stupid teenager. I complained about it to Daddy, but he didn't have anything useful to say. Why don't you study more? I'm trying as hard as I can, see? He looked at the open math book on my lap and the half-blank sheet of paper in my binder. Then he looked at the episode of Star Trek I was watching on the TV. It was the one where the crew ends up on the bizarro world of the Enterprise, where everybody is evil. One of my favorites. All I see is a little girl watching that brain melter and ignoring her homework. I've got some problems done. Uh-huh. Watching TV helps me calm down. Mm-hmm. It does! Amanda, either you turn that thing off or I'm going to have to throw it out the back door. No, you won't. You won't be able to watch your stories. Generations don't air no more, Amanda, so the joke's on you. Well, what about football? You really want to test me on this? I knew better than to push it any further. Sorry, Daddy. Yeah, you will be. Now turn that thing off. Yes, Daddy. As you might have guessed, my magical thinking did not work out in my favor. And come May, Daddy made me stay after school for tutoring. By eighth graders. Seriously, Daddy? You might as well stick a gun in my mouth. I'm not going to let some diaper-wearing middle schooler teach me nothing. It ain't like you got a lot of options here, Amanda. Why are you so busted up about it anyway? Because they're 12 years old, Daddy. It's embarrassing. Well, you want to know what's going to be more embarrassing? when you have to repeat Algebra 1 as a senior. But help is help, Manda. Don't matter what size package it comes in. Help is help. Easy concept to understand, not an easy concept to embrace. People, especially Americans, and especially Americans who live in Spotsylvania County, Virginia, like to think they can get through life on their own accord without help from nothing or no one based on no evidence whatsoever. For some reason, when one of us manages to do something all by our lonesome, we all think that's the way to do it. No matter what it is, build a house, win a game, pass a class. But that's all a lie, because ain't nobody ever truly done something alone. Not when you really drill down on it. The truth is that everybody in the whole world needs each other. Every last one of us, plain as day.
There ain't no other way of saying it. August was the armpit of summer. Hot, steamy, wet, and terrible. That year wasn't no different. If anything, it was worse. Late summer has a smell to it, you know? Musty and moldy and dank. The culmination of five months of heat and thunderstorms sitting around in still water puddles and drainage ditches and holes filled with rotten leaves. Multiply it by one half and you got what I was dealing with. And the bugs are up there, Auntie, too, I'll tell you what. I was used to the flies and cicadas, but now there were clumps of gnats buzzing all over the place, swarms of them the size of beach balls. Except for by the canal path or in the still pockets of the river, we'd never had that much of an issue with them down here. Not no more. One morning, in the middle of the month, I walked out of the front doors of Cortland High School and right into a fat patch of them. I should have known better. I've been walking out that door for almost a month, and it was like to be the hundredth time I walked straight into a patch of bugs. I started to sweat as soon as I left the building, and based on the thermometer hanging on the brick wall of the overhang, it was going to be a barn burner. It was already 88 degrees out, and the humidity made it feel at least 10 degrees hotter. Now that the cooler weather was supposed to be coming, I'd volunteered to prep the beds out by the rear building and plant garlic out where the beans and broccoli and Brussels sprouts was near close to picking. I paused there in the shade, enjoying the morning as best as I could. A warm breeze blew in from the stadium, bringing with it the smell of the hay drying on the old football field. I heard children squealing from the practice field to my left. Marquand was out there watching him, armed to the hilt. He had a rifle slung over one shoulder, a pair of handguns on his hips, and a knife and a baton on his belt and a bandolier strapped across his chest half filled with bullets. I'm glad he was the one who volunteered for that. Babysitting wasn't my thing, even when I wasn't armed. I wouldn't trust myself around all them irritating kids if I was. The door behind me opened, and out came Frankie, my savior. That's how she wanted me to see it. It was her that found me huddled out in the corner of my old basement, shaking and hallucinating and crying, and it was her that drove me the nine or so miles from the farm to Cortland High School, and it was her that reminded me of her heroics on a daily basis. If not out loud, then with subtle jabs and a generally condescending attitude. Man, when it came to that girl, uh-uh. I swear, there wasn't enough antacid in the world for me. How's our little trooper doing today? She half sang, finishing with a nervous laugh. I'm better, Frankie, thank you. I didn't even look at her when I said it. I couldn't. It was all I could do to keep from gripping my teeth. Frankie strolled out into the drive, holding her hands to the sun and swishing her hips. You must be awfully happy I found you out there with a day like today greeting you. So sunny and beautiful. I'm thinking I'm going to sweat off at least ten pounds out there in the garden. Nope, not today. Uh, yeah, today. You're coming with me. Alani's orders. Alani. Alani was the de facto leader of whatever this place had become. Village, town, fortification. I'd knew people like her before. Alani was a serious person. Serious people got things done. Serious people didn't take no guff. Serious people had no time for foolishness. She reminded me of a school administrator, which was fitting, I guess. What for? I asked. I gotta get the garlic in the ground. You said you knew a guy who owned a gun shop, right? Blue, yeah, he's dead. Shop's cleaned out. Don't you think I already looked? Alani wants you to do it again. Says if he was as much as a survivalist as you say he was, then you might have missed something the first time around. Like what? I don't know. That's what we're going to find out. As critical as Alani as I could be, she was the one who relieved the National Guard Recruiting Center of all their APCs and supplies, 
and she was the one who knew them APCs could run on diesel. And she was the one who went around from gas station to gas station, filling up tank after tank and gas can after gas can. And she was the one who drove them all back and formed a ring around the campus and went out and got car after car after car and did the same thing until there was a wall two cars deep circling the school and its fields and parking lots. So it ain't like she's entirely stupid. Blue was a survivalist. She was right about that. Maybe I did miss something. So that's how I ended up heading back out into the darkest steps of Spotsylvania on a scavenging mission with a girl I could barely stand. That would be Frankie for all of you who wasn't paying attention. I'm sure you can understand why I was conflicted about that arrangement. At least she didn't drive like an idiot. The roads that wove back through the woods to Blue's shop were twisted and turned in places, and the switchbacks could be unnerving. Given my daddy's penchant for weapons and such, it might surprise some of you to hear that I'd never rode in a military vehicle before. Here's my review. It was hot and uncomfortable. I guess the price of armored plating was sweating a sore butt. I watched the woods blur by the barred window, thinking. You never did tell me why you came back to the farm, I yelled. Them trucks was loud and cranky. Frankie said, what? I raised my voice. That day you found me. What were you doing back there? Same thing we're doing today, scavenging. You was looking for my gun safe, weren't you? Frankie slowed down as she took a tight turn. Didn't speak again till we were straightened out. We didn't think you needed any more. That's all either of us said for a long minute. Plenty of questions crossed my mind, though. Not the least of which being, kind of like you didn't need Timmy Carter anymore, huh? I knew better than to bring it up again. I'd done it before about a week after I was rescued. I asked her if she missed him, and all she said was, Oh, honey, he was sweet and all, but and left it hanging there. Damn. I guess love is a fickle beast, ain't she? But you can be damn sure I hadn't forgotten him yet. Soon as I could, I was going to hit Hangnail's farm myself. The girl was about to find out exactly what it meant to piss off a jet. I said it before. Daddy didn't raise no bleeder. We got to the intersection at Route 1, and boy howdy was it a mess. Shells of cars, bodies on the shoulder... We had to go around a blockade of tanks that were blocking the sign for the new high school, ended up off-roading it through the bush, crossed the Nye River, and made it all the way to Mattapani before we decided to try and get back on the pavement again. There was a bridge there, an old one, with wide stone pillars sinking into the water and an old crumbling concrete wall. It was covered in weeds, and it looked like it would fall over if anybody so much as blew on it. People in your county sure don't like to take care of their infrastructure, Frankie said. It's just an old walking bridge. Plus, if you didn't know it, we got ourselves an end-of-the-world situation going on. Sweetie, that bridge was falling apart long before any of the hives landed. Don't call me, sweetie. That's what you're worried about? I swallowed my acid. How about we keep driving? I'd like to get the blues and back before the sun goes down. Over that thing? No way. I hated to agree with her, but I had to. It'd be one thing to die during a fight with an alien invader. That seemed noble and valiant. Getting crushed to death because Spotsylvania County didn't want to raise his taxes didn't. But, like I said, it was a walking bridge and way too narrow, so the only way across was to go down into the bed and climb the embankment on the other side. I opened my mouth to say something, but Frankie already popped the APC into gear. I got it, she said, and she steered the car forward. The water was low and easy to cross, but getting up the other side was a bit of a challenge, mainly because the embankment was covered with leaves and lined with trees. And even though the APC was made for that kind of thing, it felt like it would flip backwards with every foot we climbed. I don't know exactly why I did what I did next. I got a feeling that we were being watched, I guess, or 
Maybe I just wanted to see if the wheels were going to get caught in a mud slick and spin us into a wipeout. Whatever the reason, I rolled the window down, pushed the bars open, and stuck my head out to see what was going on behind us. And sure enough, the wheels were kicking up dirt and weeds and mud, all of which splashed in the water behind. But that's not what caught my attention. What caught my attention was a slash of bright colors from the woods on the other side. Blues and reds and yellows. I knew exactly who it was. Uh-uh, I thought. Not today. I yanked on the handle and popped out of the door, dropping about five feet farther than I estimated and landing on my heels on the edge of the water. The old break in my leg flared up again. I don't mean it broke, but I felt the pressure on the line. Even worse was when I tried to hop onto my other leg to compensate. My foot slipped on a rock and I rolled my ankle. Amanda! Frankie yelled. Get back in here! I looked all around me, biting back the pain, looking for them little blobs of primary colors, but I didn't see nothing but green. I splashed across the water and up into the other bank, stomping around and kicking up leaves. I know you're out there, you little hobgoblins! I pulled out my gun and stomped farther in. It was a loner from Milani, a little twenty-two, Tiny, yeah, but enough to stop one of them creepy melon heads. Frankie revved the engine behind me and honked the horn. Amanda, are you coming or what? I waved my arm and squatted forward. Something rattled in a bush a few feet away. Or someone, I should say. The weeds were thick and tall, almost reaching my chest. I wasn't going to be nice this time. I was going to throttle whoever it was, wrap my hands around its neck until it told me what that crazy doctor shot into me. One more step. I was reaching for a knot of weeds and bushes, about to pull them aside, when I heard something that froze my bowels. It was a hiss and a clicking sound, like a snake. Then I thought, hold on. You trying to scare me? I said. Well, how's this for a scare? and I pushed the weeds aside and jumped forward, gun out, and a big green scaly thing leaped at me, all teeth and fang and claws. I screamed and fired off my twenty-two, and I tumbled to the side. It scrambled up to me on its spindly legs, mouth wide open, and I near about soiled myself. It looked like a combination of a snake and a spider. It reared back on its hind legs, exposing its underbelly, and I fired all the bullets I had into it and blood and gook splashed all over me, and it squealed and fell, and I got up and ran, ran for the APC. Frankie had backed down into the water and gotten out, and she was already running toward me when I came limping up out of the woods. Run! I yelled, and we both sprinted back to the APC. I lurched for the passenger door, which was still open, hopped in and yanked it shut. Frankie jumped in on the other side, and she slammed it into gear and stomped on the gas, but the tires only spun in the water, and before we could move another inch... A roar sounded out from above us. Go! I yelled. Frankie put it in reverse, backed up a few feet, and put it back in first. The APC finally caught some traction, and we hit that slope hard. But before we made it halfway up, something flew down from above and crashed onto the hood. Frankie screamed, and I yelled, Jesus! It was a monster, of course. The same one I seen a few months before. The thing with the legs like a kangaroo. Only now I saw the whole thing. And it wasn't just a kangaroo. It had an ape's torso with goat horns growing out its skull. It bared its chest to the sky, loosed another roar, and then started pounding the bejesus out of the windshield, smashing right through it and reaching for Frankie. 
She fell to the side and right into my lap, and then the thing roared again and swiped its massive paw around the cab, tearing ruts into her leg and shoulder. Then it grabbed her by the waist and ripped her out and threw her away. I saw her body hit the bridge and fall onto the rocks below. I fell out the passenger side, narrowly avoiding another swipe of its claws, and splashed into the water. The monster continued to tear the vehicle apart, ripping off the hood and digging into the engine like it was Play-Doh. It smashed the roof and the windows popped, and that's all I needed to see. I got up, turned, and ran. And the thing followed me. I don't think I'd ever ran faster. I dodged pricker vines and branches and saplings the best I could, but the dang thing seemed to be reaching for me, catching at my clothes, my boots, and my arms. The creature didn't have the same problem. It muscled through the undergrowth in the woods the same way it muscled through that armored car, knocking down trees, shattering trunks, leaving a few with sharp hunks of wood jutting up in the air like swords. It got close enough to swing at me, and it would have walloped my head in the pulp if I hadn't tripped on a root. I hit the ground hard, falling flat on my face and knocking the air out of my lungs. I rolled to my right, gasping for breath, and the monster's fist smashed the ground right where I'd just been, and then it was over me. And it smelled rank, too like wet fur and feral animal, and it roared and carried on, beating its chest, bragging about how strong and tough it was. Then it cocked its arm, preparing to punch my skull into the ground, and I closed my eyes and held out my arms, and then a flurry of shots rang out, machine gun fire. The thing whelped and kicked me aside, and I hit a tree trunk so hard that I thought I broke my back. The first thing I thought was that Alani had sent someone to tail us. Then I thought that maybe there was some other group out there, and they'd come to rescue us. Neither one of those was true, because when my vision finally cleared, I saw who it was who'd saved me. Standing among the destroyed tree trunks and shattered logs was Frankie. She was battered and bloody, and her shoulder hung strange, and she looked about to keel over, but she bit back the pain and eyeballed that goat ape thing with a hateful glare I didn't think she had in her. Mrs. The whisper hit my ear so sharp that I hissed. The melonhead girl from the surgery from hell was beside me, blue eyes sparkling. We're here, missus. Frankie screamed and fired another burst of bullets at that can gape. That's how I started thinking of it, striking it in the chest and legs. But all that seemed to do was make it even angrier. It charged her and she fired until the clip was empty, dodging at the last second. Watch this, missus, the melonhead said. And she put her hand to her mouth and made a weird utilization. And out of the woods charged dozens of blobs of primary colors. Melonheads, all of them. She joined them as they swarmed up the can gaping started beating it and stabbing it with all kinds of weapons. Some had scalpels they must have stolen from the doctor, some had kitchen knives, and some had spears they'd carved out of branches. The can gape roared and flailed, and the melon hands dug in with their claws and hung on for dear life. It reached back and flung a few off, but for every one it got rid of, two more took its place. They gouged out its eyes, they sliced the back of its legs, they stabbed it in the neck. It grew weaker and weaker finally falling face first and impaling itself on one of the shattered tree trunks it had created with its own fists. The melonhead girl trotted back to me, blue eyes sparkling, shirt clotted with gore and fur. See, missus? See what we can do? Then she put her hand to her mouth again and made the uulation, and the other melonheads scattered back into the woods and were gone. Wait, I called as she turned. We can't be late, missus. He will be angry. But I don't even know your name. She smiled at me with her pointy, blood-stained teeth. Berenice misses. And she ducked back into the brush and sprinted away to join her friends. We misses the missus. Missus comes and sees us. To say Frankie was messed up was an understatement. Broken ribs, broken foot, broken leg, broken pride. 
The back of her head looked like, well, it looked like she'd fallen 12 feet onto a rock, which was exactly what happened to her. For all her girly girlness, Frankie was a tough old girl, wasn't she? Tougher than I thought. I should have known. She survived the first hive invasion, didn't she? Survived Mother Absalom and my no-good Uncle Zeus. I draped her arm over my shoulder and we gimped back to what remained of the APC. There was a first aid kit in one of the side compartments, and even though the vehicle was mostly crushed and the compartment door bent and hard to open, the kit was still pretty much intact. I cleaned out her head wound and packed it and wrapped a bandage around it. I wrapped her foot, too, just to put some pressure on it, but there wasn't much I could do about them ribs or the leg. It wasn't first-rate hospital care, but it'd have to do. You're going to have to stay here, I said. Okay. I'll put you in the cab and head back to Cortland. It's crushed. The back's still good. Door's broke, but I think I can get it open. I did. Found a pry bar in a different compartment and wedged in and hung and yanked and pulled until it finally gave. If it wasn't for the fact that the can gape had already compromised the shell, well, I don't think I'd have been able to do it. But there you go. Getting her in took some doing and some screaming, mostly on her end. When I got her as comfortable as I could, I put our canteens in on the floor and clapped my hands. I better get going. It'll take a couple of hours to get back to the high school. I'll rustle up a crew. Get back before dark, okay? All right. Don't leave me here. I won't. I turned to leave and she said, Amanda? Yeah. I really did like him, you know. Who, Timmy Carter? Do you think he's alive? No. I started off again. Amanda? <sighs> yeah. Those things. What were they? Well, which ones? Those kids. Hmm. I don't rightly know. Daddy said they'd been around since before he and Zeus were little. Their heads were so... Yeah, I know. I kind of think of them as melon heads. Melon heads? She laughed a little and started coughing and holding her ribs. <laughs> oh, oh my, that hurts. Broken ribs do that. They seem to know you. It's a long story. I'm just glad Bertholdt wasn't with them. Bertholdt? Never mind. Anyway, they helped us. I know, but they were so small, though, and strange. Help us help, Frankie. Help us help. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That 
would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic. And I will see you guys next week.